Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and who showcase planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei, and I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Nicholas Rotundo. Nicholas has been described as having a botanical heart and a mechanical mind, melding AG te agricultural tech, regenerative science, conservation and renewable energy at a research for the new economy at what once was Campbell's Soups of Mushroom Farm. Redefining farm as future agriculture and regenerative movements. He has had wide birth of experience from indoor horticulture, aquaponics to permaculture design, ecosystem restorations, I'm excited for this conversation. We've met in Costa Rica for the first time on a piece of land called Punta Mona. And uh, right now you're sitting, you're sitting south of me here in California as well. So welcome with this work. Welcome, welcome, Nicholas. Excellent. Thanks for having me, Julian. Yeah. So good to see you, mate, and reconnect. I'm excited for getting like a total you know, deep insight into what you call redefining farm, like future agriculture and regenerative movements, because, you know, this is a topic that I think a lot of people just can't imagine it. Like, how do we feed the world? And is it even possible to feed the whole world? And then, you know, in like the classical way of how most people are kind of programmed and conditioned or, or, or educated is, well, it has to do with a lot of tech and a lot of like, maybe even engineered food just to so that everybody can have some. But I think those are those those might all be like a direction that, that we don't even need if we understand and redefine what farm can really mean. So I'm I'm super excited for this conversation. Where to begin, man? Like what what's what's a good place to kind of guide people into this topic from your perspective? Excellent. Um it it's really uh a unique concept that's really dear to my heart right now because it's for the first time I've been able to meld the two together. And uh, I've been doing uh, regenerative work as far as the development goes for larger scale retreat centers, resorts, um, even large biofuels projects with multi-stakeholder partnerships. And uh, um, it's, it's usually one or the other. Typically you're not investing all the money into land and tech. And where I really think we need to go is not oppose either one. So there's so many people that are really driving a hard line towards the tech world and indoor horticulture, which to me has incredible benefits. Like once you move agriculture indoors in Japan, they're saving up to 90% of the water. And water is like fresh water is definitely one of the most precious resources for us having food. And if we're to look at what I think is the biggest hurdle in agriculture, it's certainly how far food has to travel. At least half of the year, we're getting our food from at the bare minimum Mexico, but oftentimes Chile and Argentina here in the United States. And if you talk about islands in New Zealand uh, and Australia, it's like even more difficult to imagine on how these island nations get their food. Literally 80 to 90% of it comes from offshore. And so reimagining how we look at food economies to be both uh, not just sustainable, but also regenerative, but also being able to be local. And the only way to do that with seasons, um, basically the shortening and lengthening of days as we are in the more temperate climates, whether it's down south or here in the United States, is we have to be able to go indoors. 
Now, right now, there is not, as far as I'm concerned, or as many people in the organics world, they just had a big fight about um, indoor horticulture and hydroponics not being organic, not possible, it's technically not allowed in some ways, because you're not in soil. And even harder still to even imagine it being regenerative. And regenerative, I think, is getting thrown around in so many different places and, and ways and so loosely to like kind of be something that businesses can attach a feeling to. And really, is it putting in more than what it's taking out? And that is like the idea, the true idea behind regenerative in my eyes. And uh, for some of that, it has to die. So if we're looking at like regeneration, it doesn't happen without that decomposition and that breakdown. And I liken that a little bit to the really difficult times that we're facing um, both here in our personal spaces and as well as on a global front and the isolation that's becoming existent and the difficulties from, from travel to just being able to have access to uh, food is pretty much a scary thing, but it, it's really beautiful and hopeful from the sense of a regenerative lenses because if we can allow these failing systems fraught with inefficiencies to, to fall and decompose, then what we can do is really flower something for a new. And uh, to the point that you were saying is the, the mix of the two is where we have to go. And we have to be able to imagine that we can grow 95% of all of our food here locally in any biome. And that has to do with a combination of systems, whether it's greenhouse, indoors, um, with supplemented light, or outdoors. And indoors is obviously hugely wrought with huge energy expenses. But when tied and paired with a microgrid, as we're exploring here, um, you really reduce the one hurdle that you're pretty much wishing to ignore is the big energy consumption. But if we mm. don't have that energy consumption that's built from the wind and sun that's here, um, you really don't have that huge hurdle. And being able to grow 365 days a year and 24 hours a day even, being able to mimic light where you would literally be able to vegetatively grow. Um, it's very hard to imagine how that can um, be done anywhere else. As well, the food transferring from thousands and thousands of miles away, how, how is it that all of our food is literally tied to the price of oil? We're talking literally the transportation cost between putting it on a truck, between the tractors to till it, to getting it to the boat, to get it to the shore, to put it on another truck and get it to your house. And that tomato is very little of that's actually going to the farmer. Almost none of it to a really greater concept. And so how do we empower local farming uh, communities? That is true resilience, energy sovereignty, water sovereignty, and food sovereignty, and not being dictated by um, petrochemical industries to tell us how much uh, a tomato should cost. So yeah, that's definitely the transition and the path forward. I mean, you know, how it, how it is the way it is going backward is, you know, in, in so many topics that, that have to do with the regenerative world, we really can build now. It's, it's just, it's, it's what got us to this point. And then in this transition, we realized, okay, it, it's somehow nonsensical because it doesn't actually feed the world. It doesn't actually, you know, like create a world that is, um, well, maybe not free of trash, but like that at least isn't filled with, with so much waste product. And, and as you said, like who actually benefits at the end of it is, is a whole other conversation. And so, I totally understand the direction of, you know, localized farming that is subsidized with a global trade of like, you know, if, if maybe there are some specialty items, et cetera, but, but really this kind of 
pathway forward with embracing what we've done for thousands of years, basically in a more localized uh, kind of way. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about where you are right now, because you see we're saying here quite a few times, and I, I know you can't like talk about the entire vision maybe at this point, but, but just to like have people understand of like, what are some of these, um, what, what is real in this project you're, you're co-creating right now and how do some of these things you just mentioned kind of come to play? Absolutely. Um, so I'm here at the mushroom farm in Pescadero, California, just about an hour south of San Francisco. And we are creating the center for the new economy. And what we believe that to mean is the intersection of agricultural technology, regenerative science, and renewable energy. And the merriment of these three explorations um, in a single circular facility where we don't believe in waste management, we've got only resource management um, as a core solution to really thinking about this. This is what we think is a platform that can be expanded upon for citywide. And if we can prove it on a pretty large scale, um, and also making sure that we're taking care of our local ecosystem, which is where we're starting at first, is looking at our restoration practices and protecting our watershed and our unique, our unique positioning here on the ocean. And if we focus on these things first, it really can be a shining example on how we can develop going forward. Because with development, it's so little often exploring uh, the truth of impact. And um, I'm sure we'll get onto that a little bit more later. Uh, but that's really what I associate permaculture with and regenerative science is really the discussion of impact. How is that impacting the future generations? How is that impacting all the things we don't see in the soil and the air? How is that affecting our neighbors? How is that affecting the yet to be born? And um, how is that affecting um, basically all the wildlife and fauna that can exist? And not too many people are building things with those pieces in mind. Um, so yeah, it's been uh, a beautiful entry into this space back in California. I've been in the jungles of Costa Rica or a lot of my uh, development work has been in Southeast Asia and tropical locations. Um, the beautiful winds here um, in, in the Bay Area has been quite a bit of a blessing. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really exciting. <laughs> Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I know you spent a lot of time abroad doing, doing you know, regenerative work in, in all kinds of different locations and, and learning in all kinds of different locations. So, you know, California is blessed to have you back. I'd, I'd love to understand quite a bit more about like your perspective on like the circular kind of model, because, you know, we're, we're hearing it now. I mean, if we look at it from a larger perspective, we zoom out a little bit from the farm. Um, we now know we now know like New Zealand is a first country that actually like is creating incubators of of like um, social impact experts to come and and like bring this change to New Zealand first with the Edmund Hillary Foundation and then with as a country they actually created this this new um, yeah this new baseline of going beyond GDP gross domestic product as a the measurement of of, of a country's uh, wealth but into like well being which in itself will require some kind of circular economic notion, right? But then if you go further, like Amsterdam, I think now has announced to, to incorporate like the, the donut model of economy as like, um, you know, how they as a city want to make sure that the well-being of their own citizens is, is, is guaranteed. And so 
often people say it all goes back to soil and it all goes back to water. The way we treat our soils, the way we interact with the water is, is really indicative to the, the pathway forward. And so I don't even know if I really have a question there, but I know there's a, a wealth of wisdom in you around like circular models and how they actually are, how they are real life scenarios. And so I'll just pass it back to you. And I, I, I want to see if there's, there's more we can learn with you in this moment. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, circular systems is really just how it exists in nature, right? Like we've talked about before in the past is just like that regeneration doesn't happen with that, that death, decay, that, that mushrooms, um, <laughs> those mushrooms converting all, for all the organic matter into what it is that we need. And uh, from a facility standpoint, it is only just one part of it. It's really simple to imagine now a new way to look at waste as a resource. And us, with the technology that exists for breaking down plastics and then chipping them up, uh, melting them down, and then 3D printing what you'd like afterwards, that's a real thing that exists here right now. As looking at that just for one focus point of black agricultural plastic is one of the leading contributors to um, trash in the world. If you think of every piece of drip tape, almost every piece of irrigation, every single bucket, every tray, every single stuff comes from a very similar component that can all be taken down. And instead of us throwing it away every one to three years, almost never does it go max more than that. And literally every three years, we're throwing away all that's necessary to water the entire, all the food that's grown for all the world. We just literally throw it away. And instead, breaking it down, chipping it back up and make the same thing again. It's really, I mean, that's like one of the most basic core concepts in that we do not need things to leave. And us looking at it from a fertilizer or even an energy perspective, there's different ways to imagine a facility that can come about creating the products that you need. So from agricultural waste, we can literally turn that into so many different components that not just composted fertilizer or vermiculture, um, but we can also take it to another level and create ethanol out of the sugars and or biochar out of the cellulosic materials. And so us being able to have the ethanol produced here, that allows us to create the extraction labs that we need here on site for the mushrooms that we will produce for the, the culinary and medicinal mushrooms, as well as the different medicinal extracts that could be grown on the land. And then we can actually have the products all here. It never came from anywhere else. And then the biochar obviously is another beautiful thing that's, um, it's basically really deep carbon that can be all heated up to a similar temperature and you use uh, basically all same, same kind of structure, whether it's wood or like a hay, um, or uh, kind of like another uh, fibrous material, as long as it's all kind of even and you create a low oxygen environment for the fuel to burn, uh, you can create this, um, this little charcoal that's very specific and have the surface area of a football field in an inch. In one inch, you can have the surface area of the football field. And what that allows it to do is harbor all the microorganisms that are necessary for them to proliferate. It's literally a house and a home, whether it's for mycelium or all the other pieces that are involved in the nitrates and nitrate, nitrites that are the exchange in nutrients in the soil to the root nodules of the plants. So um, those are just like a few examples of the things that are normally cast aside or threw, thrown away that can really change a facility. But I do want to touch on like what you just 
said is that it, it, do, really, yeah. it comes down to an economic world as well. And how do we restore balance is one of the principles of a regenerative economy, um, is really understanding like how is it that we have come so far off tilt and then oftentimes if we push so far the other way that doesn't restore balance that just continues the seesaw so by believing that we want to try and come to a middle ground where then it can become circular and it's not just extractive we're going to want to believe that the economic principles from which we guide the development of businesses around the globe is probably the most paramount because no matter how much we do in all these retreat centers around the world or all these beautiful farms that we're going to change and we could change thousands and we're not even a drop in the water and so if we're imagining that we have to change this it has to come from the purchasing power which is us the consumers but also the developing power that is really going to change the ethics of how we move forward into the new economy we'd like to be experiencing totally this is this is so fascinating to hear um and you know it's it's one of the big reasons why i started this podcast exploration is to continuously learn and understand the interconnection of all these different topics to you know in my words like make this green planet blue planet this like thriving kind of ecosystem which you know naturally wants to happen here and then it wants to happen through us as humans as like you know, an agent or a facilitator of this kind of thriving environment. And so we, we need to understand our own mistakes. And so this is my question for you. Like, what do you think it actually takes for humans to, to learn from all our own mistakes and to admit like, oh, wow, we, apparently we did this wrong. Now, how do we do it different? Like what's, what's maybe a, an indicator that, that we, we, we'd even get there to learn from our own mistakes? Oof. Wow the children. I witness it every single day, children teaching their parents. And I've seen it from the phase of um, just a beautiful conversation with one of the, the founder of Plug and Play, one of the largest incubator accelerators on the planet. And him sharing his experience of how his child, who's only eight or nine years old, has literally created a whole new wing in his one of the like literally founders in PayPal and uh, founders in some of the biggest in, in business and he's he's literally guided by his eight or nine year old saying you need to become more sustainable and he's like I don't know what that is she's like look it up Dad. <laughs> that's so and, awesome and seeing that across the board and this is from millionaires or billionaires no matter how much you can put it on paper it's so hard to change the paradigm so inspiring you and making this fun and even the concepts that you've been exploring consistently with edutainment and um and some of our mates going through that level is like how do we make this so um palatable that a child can't help but see that this is the only way forward you idiot and they're going to be the ones to help us proliferate the world. so yeah i think children is that's really such an epic and interesting answer i've never heard this as, as the answer to how do we learn from our past mistakes but it's something in my heart tells me it resonates really deeply because you know i i often go back in my own memories to like how did it actually feel to be a child growing up in this world and i might have mentioned this like once or twice before in an episode but it's like it's worthy to mention in this moment i remember so viscerally these encounters that for example the doctor's office, you know, when you're like seven or eight years old and you're not being taken serious because you're, you're just a child. 
and you're sitting there and be like, yo, man, like I can hear you. Like, why do you, why do you speak to my parent as an agent for me? I mean, I understand that they're my legal guardian, but, but like, just talk to me. Right. And so it's, it's like the flip around of, of that kind of paradigm where we're able to say, oh, wait, you're maybe a little human, but you're actually a genius spirit in human form coming here to challenge the way we've set up systems. And not exactly. to say that children know all the answers all the time right away, but, but like, yeah, I love what, where you just went with this. Yeah, and it's, it's been really prevalent recently as I've been experiencing time. Like the only people I seem to make time for for a Zoom call is, um, well, you now, but is, um, is uh, my goddaughters. And um, uh, it's because they really have a most beautiful reflection on life where I feel like, we're too quick to parrot something else. We're too quick to not think on our own accord. We're too quick to necessarily like want to dive in or ask a question why. And to us not, you know, introspectively looking inside ourselves, but also questioning the narratives in which we're being handed to. Because as we were saying earlier, it's so quick and easy to miss the point and not really dive into solving the world's issues because we're so in an infaction of contrary arguments and this polarization that's like ripping the country and the world apart and having us point fingers and it's never one or the other and it's also not as contrived as we'd imagine you know and in a lot of ways yes there's a lot of um greed and that exists throughout the world but there's also a lot of people that are inept and that's it like we are inept at for carrying the locomotive that we've started on the tracks that is moving at a speed and it's so heavy and it's so powerful and it's so strong that to slow it down is just almost like unimaginable. And the consequences are obviously what we're experiencing on a very finite scale right now. Um, but yeah, yeah it's really- put, put historic context to this conversation. It's like the, you know, June, 2020. So we're on probably not even the other side of this Corona experience, but just like somewhere in the middle of it in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I, I've, I've made this, this comment a few times now where it's like, isn't it funny that when we stop all of the economic action that is deemed as unessential, our entire economy is possibly breaking apart within two months. Like, doesn't that alone show us that, like, we've just not built it on what's essential to life. And so maybe we could learn to build it on what's essential to life in, instead of making it around, you know, building, like, more stuff, right? And These are goosebumps. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? For those <laughs> listening, he's showing me his arm, and I'm like, what's going on there? Goosebumps, Sorry. right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like this resonance <laughs> of life being, like, affirming to us, like, yeah, wake up, humanity, like, this is actually possible. And, and I know you guys listening, most of you already know this, like, and, and Nicholas, you know this, and, and I know this, but it's not only about knowing, it's not only about having like the right answer, it's actually about exploring how to participate in it. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, I fully agree with you, mate. It's really resonates deeply with me because in this very time where everybody is taking a grand pause, we doubled down and we went full scale agriculture at this point. And so instead of cultivating what was part of the farm plan for the first acre, we expanded to seven acres. And a large part of the project that we are developing here is one to create affluence through the nonprofit drive, 
as well as um, support the, the research and education that we're already doing here, but also to find ways that we can give away in a new economic model as just a test run. And how could we give away five times as much food as what is bought? And that is like the principle of us like expanding agriculture, not knowing what it's going to look like in seven, eight months. Um, and so it's definitely been quite the undertaking, but it has also removed us from feeling like we're participating in a lot of the conversations. Um, we did send about 100 pounds of our beautiful regeneratively grown produce to the front lines in, uh, in Oakland and um, through um, amazing different uh, coalitions in Giltrack Farm. And, um, but that isn't really enough. If we are to actually be doing this work, the conversations are important, the circling is important, uh, the, the actually being heard and like standing and being present for these conversations is, is probably some of the most important work right now, but we have to translate it into action. And it has to be uh, something that is fully participative on everybody's account. And it can't just be a blue recycling bin in your home that's just going to make sure the cans and bottles get to where they need to get to. It's really holding um, that, that agency comes with responsibility. And like having the freedom to be a part of this planet really comes with knowing where everything's source to sink concept really comes from is like really understanding where it gets sunk into the ground and where it's getting removed from and how it's happening. And that happens from whether you're choosing your materials for construction or whether you're choosing which chocolate you want to buy. And that's why the story is so important. And I'm sure there's a lot of bullshit stories out there, but nobody, there's very few people making up those stories. So, sorry for swearing on your podcast. Mate. No, you can swear. I, okay, good. I definitely uh, swear on my podcast. Shit is hitting the fan. Like right now, everywhere in the world, this is, this is a, a, a system, a society imploding. And we can either choose to sit back and be like, oh, is there popcorn to watch the sixth math extinction? mass extinction or or we can can be like no wait a second this isn't actually a done deal yet like this is this is this is life happening and life like evolution is maybe a slow process but evolution is an active process like it's not something you read about in history books and it's like yep that's just how it is like we're experiencing it as we're living and, and i mean these times are unprecedented from a technological level they're unprecedented from a globalization level they're unprecedented from a pandemic level in that sense right at least in our lifetime no one has experienced a pandemic before and so what's on the other side of of contrast is you know and, and with the bridge of healing but there's always a large opportunity field and so that opportunity field can't be that nothing can birth in this opportunity field if we aren't willing to participate like you know you and i had a little conversation before we hit, hit record here and a notion that kind of came up and, and it's worth to bring into this dialogue in, in this podcast right now is, you know, the notion of us and them, the them disappears if you're becoming an active participant, because then mm -hmm. there are no others who are doing something evil or, or, or bad, you know, and even though maybe some people do things you don't like, or some people do things that we, we should take a, a triple look at and be like, hey, is, is that right? But the moment you take active participation, there is no us and them. Then we're actually turning into a super organism of humanity. And in my eyes, like, I think this is, this is what I'd like to see in this lifetime. Let's see if, let's see if we can make it happen together. You know? Absolutely, mate. Uh, 
I, it's an honor to be working alongside you in this path, you know? And I feel like we have a very similar kind of role set as we were alluding to earlier is, is that translation, is how do we make this information and this message so palpable? And what you've done in making it just accessible as well as like really easy to comprehend and aligned with your values as, and your enthusiasm being realistic is how do we inspire those same connections from the top and the bottom of the barrels? It's been um, where, uh, where I've come from, and, and that holds like, uh, there might be problems with that statement, but looking at it from a, like a fishery and aquaponics standpoint, there really is like a lot about being crushed at the bottom, and there really is like a lot about swimming pretty and getting all the food and fat on the top. And uh, <laughs> But in agricultural projects or restoration projects, it's a lot of times uh, fed with quite a bit of wealth in some ways. And um, it, it's always immigrant labor that's ending up fielding most of the work. And what I noticed for the first time in every organization that I've been a part of, the first time that the owner of the project or the financier or whatever comes and puts their hands in the land and puts their seeds in the soil, even if it's as a token gesture, the immediate dissolving of the veils from both accounts and it just happens automatically. There doesn't need to be an explanation of like, do you see how hard work this is? Like they experience it and they see how hard work it is. And they also say like, hey, is this person inhumane because we're out here working? And you're like, no, this person's human because he's working here with us. And the, just these simple kinds of components in bridging these gaps, it's really just a translation error. It's like, it's really just like, we assume that we know what's going on over there and they assume that we know what's going on over totally. here. Totally. Yeah. And you know, as a, as a translator and total language nerd, um, I, I want to point at the etymology of the word human, humus, humility, like it, it's all some work related to the, the same like language base of like, we're part of, of the earth, right? Like humus, soil, like humility, being a human, like we're, we're off the earth. And when we reconnect with the earth, and, and that's also why intellectual thinking our ways out of, out, of, out of all this will never fully work because it's actually separating us from the, the embodiment, like literally, as you said, like putting your fingers into the dirt and like being there. And yeah, everyone will have to find their own way, I guess, of, of self-realizing through these kind of means. Yo, short intermission. This is your host, Julian, for a short announcement. Green Planet Blue Planet podcast is currently entirely self-funded from my private coaching practice and work in the world, speaking at events and teaching breathwork, meditation, as well as facilitating leadership programs. If you're at a place in your life where you're ready to level up, step forward and be all in, then this might just be for you. Have you considered hiring a coach or is it time to find someone who deeply cares for the same evolutionary revolution on our planet? If that's the case, I'm your guy. As a transformational coach, I've worked with hundreds of people at events and in person via weekly calls over various months. I'm in service to switch on humans just like you who are on the cutting edge of some of the most progressive stuff on planet Earth. And if that's not quite you yet, but that's the dream inside of you, then even more reason to reach out. Well, whether you are a successful entrepreneur, a startup founder or an artist, I am here to support more people to deepen their planetary purpose. I've developed highly tailored coaching programs that are based on bringing out your gift into the world because I believe in a world in which we can empower and encourage all individuals to express their unique gifts. 
And all right, before we get back to the episode, make sure you visit my website, greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships, or simply find your way there by clicking work with Julian and book a free consultation with me. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I will give away a discount for listeners only. So here we go. We're returning to today's episode. I have a bunch of other questions for you, Nick, and I'm going to just, I'm going to start throwing them at you and, and see what, what comes back. <laughs> Fair enough. So let me, let, maybe start at, at optimism. Like how are you choosing optimism as a consistent kind of baseline that you come back to, even though you're exposed to so many like of the discomfortable topics in the world? Optimism is for me, the lens. And it really is so powerful for, we're talking about like the interlinking of these systems, like what was most valuable and what was considered deemed necessary by the state. And it was pretty much healthcare and agriculture for, at first for a few seconds, you know? That was pretty much like the 100% guaranteed, we need food, and we need wellness. And to believe that they're not deeply connected and combined, it's like that lens. And if we're to, like look at ourselves and it's hard to be optimistic, especially in times like this. Um, but it's also really beautiful when looking at nature to see something so destroyed and distraught um, as it's decaying there on the ground and not realizing that it is absolutely habitat and food for so many other organisms that are going to feed that tree that is standing right next to it. And so, it's not about necessarily having to pick up the crumbs, but seeing that this is a natural cycle that was almost necessary for us to walk into the future that literally the 99% of people on the planet want to see at the other side is more opportunity and more access um, to the majority of the populations. And if we sort out some of those cornerstones that we have the opportunity to do right now and revolutionize education, healthcare, and agriculture here in this moment now. It really is up to us to determine which way we move forward because everything up until this point has limited us by those three factors. And so we really don't have anything else to, to worry about if we can really focus and hone in on what it is we'd like to participate in. And it's like a hands-in approach, you know? We could all silo off to the side and choose to remove ourselves and go to some beautiful jungle in Costa Rica and take care of some beautiful lush property with thousands of fruit trees. Or we can come back into the den that is here in the United States and do our best foot forward to enact the change we want to see in the world and be part of it and be part of how do we create that access for a majority of people? How do we create the reparations that are necessary to be stewards of this land and all indigenous land? We, uh, my lady and I, um, who's Hispanic and she owns, um, doesn't own, that's a, hard, that's a hard word in this context. I'm gonna remove that. But she has property um, that she stewards in, it's a Hito land in the Yucatan, which is like indigenous land. And, um, a big piece that was inspiring of that project is uh, the name of our group is Tierras Nativas, and it means native lands, and essentially asserting that all land is native land, and until we're able to realize that, we shouldn't be moving forward with putting more buildings on this land. And if we just assume the roles and responsibilities of stewardship and start listening 
to both indigenous elders and uh, indigenous youth, as well as listening to the land itself, we can actually start moving forward uh, at the right pace. Because for 10,000 years, we didn't take anything out of balance. And now just in such a short blip of time, such a short blip of time, we've really taken this thing off the tracks. Yeah, thank you for sharing this. It's funny how the, the question with optimism got you there, but this is, this is so dear to my heart as well. It, and I often say it um, either in, yeah. in this podcast or when I get interviewed, it's like, it, it's boggling my mind that the indigenous people of the planet understood our interconnectedness as a superorganism, as a one planet, and the apex of our Western way of thinking, the, the apex meaning like those who went to space, those who've seen the blue marble in space, who looked back and were like, whoa, you know, like faced with the awe, the wonder, but also the fear of being out there in space now. They were like, suddenly the humility, they, the, the, the consciousness just like floats to the top and is like, well, wait a second, we're actually all one. We're actually all sharing this form of life. And so it boggles my mind that, that even the apex of our Western society, you know, ends up at, at kind of a similar place. And so, yeah, coming back to tierras nativas or like indigenous lands, I'd say that is one of the many shortcuts is there, there's, there are a few shortcuts to, to build a regenerative world in like a decade. Right, like people always say, oh, it will take forever. It might, and then we'll have to be resilient and patient. But there are a few shortcuts, and the the understanding of indigenous and native ways of being is definitely one of them. And yeah. Not to to go on ranting, but another one might be to just demilitarize and spend all the money into living re. But hey, that's just that's just a, a crazy idea I have, you know. Wild, you're Wild. way up. <laughs> no way that makes sense. Uh, right. I, I, I really have been, you know, I mean, this is a really tough stance to take. Um, and it really is important that really understanding historical relationships and being in right relationships is uh, also really part of anything that's regenerative. And that's uh, from uh, an natural development world it's it's about your interaction with the plants and the and the flora and the fauna and the microorganisms and in economics it's being in right relationships with your capital and valuing human capital and um from the deeper sets of wisdom it, it's really understanding in this really momentous time in history that this is stolen land in a lot of ways and in and it was built on the backs of slaves and it is not it is not excusable that it wasn't your father it is not excusable that it was whatever before me to not realize that this privilege of which we've come into being has really dictated a lot of the way that these things went from education, from access to healthcare, from agriculture and the way that we cultivated food. It's really the, the core remnants of the old world of which we're trying to remove ourselves from. So like you're saying, if we went back 10,000 years, 20,000 years right now, and we started to tap into some of that wisdom, that's the biomimicry that would be authentic to ourselves because we are nature it's we're not a part of it 
we are absolutely probably the most aggressive and destructive force in nature. Mm. And until we're willing to see ourselves as part of the problem, we won't see ourselves in the solution. Mm. So mama, mama Earth will totally just shake us off. And she's giving us an opportunity right now to think about what we've done and uh, perhaps come forward with some good force um, and some concerted effort. <laughs> I would even go as far, I love where you just went with this. I would even go as far to say Mama Earth wants us here to become conscious while we're here of this role as the great destroyer or the great creator within the ecosystem as nature, right? Like this is maybe the human experiment in itself is like we're becoming conscious as being an agent of the natural world that has a, 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 a reflective ability of itself that can see itself isolated and, and separate but that actually through consciousness through love through unconditional love through respect through humility always comes back into the circle because only as such we can really connect with the wonders of the natural world rather than i think what's been the slogan of all of this western two three hundred year craze um, if we just want to like look at, at the short history of you know, like destruction, the slogan has always been like conquer and exploit, like, like taking from, right? Uh, people, land, nature, but, but really like the wonder of the natural world is, is ours to, to be with, harmonize with, learn from, and also celebrate that it's happening. Like, you know, and you know this, we, we, we nerded out about the mycelium a little bit before we hit record and like, I say this often, like we know almost nothing about the nervous system of, of this planet. We, we know almost nothing about it. Like this could be one of the big frontiers of science that shows mm. us like, oh, wow, it actually is all happening underneath our feet. Yes, that's really true. It's, it brings up something like every, uh, when I was 17, I think I took um, my first psychedelic and um, I really thought I understood so much at that time. I was, I never had to go to school. I really like could figure concepts out at a lightning pace, could read really fast. And it was that moment that I was brought down in a heavy way. And it was like, you don't understand more than 10%. You know, I had probably the ego that I was like, I think I've got 50% of it down already. And I was like, oh my gosh, it totally warped my world. And then the other thought was, is that you will never, if you are doing it right, understand more than 10% of it. And here I am, literally for, for 16, 17 years later, and, um, and now I'm still at 10%. <laughs> it's like, it's maybe. And that's just, our, that's just the view of the frame. It's probably closer to 0.3%, but realistically in my frame of head, um, it just kind of keeps going. And that expounding um, way to like look at the discovery and exploration of these concepts, um, I think makes it that awe and wonderment that you speak to is really what engages us to keep going and go further or step outside of our comfort zone and realizing the heavy weight of the sensitivity that is everywhere and uh, the backlash that comes from just a misstep on, on uh, the wrong comment in the wrong time at this moment is like also having compassion and tolerance like, uh, like is possible in nature is like believing that we can actually feel for something else and want to like uh, relate to some degree. And uh, I think a little bit more patience for each other, a little bit more compassion and tolerance um, is gonna go a huge way in these trying times for everyone because it's not gonna get easier, I don't believe.
Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Let that sink in for a second. I do have a next question though, and it's about trust. You might've known that this is coming. Trust might be one of those qualities that we could add to the list you just created. So, so what is required for you to experience trust? I struggle with trust, to be brutally honest. Um, you know, as you were relating to the etymology from humans, humility, and uh, humus, and uh, one of my favorite uh, shirts is the Da Vinci, and it says present human, future humus. Um, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it's, um, it's also a term that we use to describe fault and to say it's only human. Mm. And it's one of those things that is really hard for any organism to not think of themselves from like a simple cell trying to like merge with another, from an electron trying to share itself with another, from everything to the larger scale of like uh, satellites and planets in orbit that are just wanting to share space. Um, and their co-creation to ourselves. And uh, every animal in between is just out for survival. And the it's really hard to, with two million years of humanoid history that we so far know, and that, that timeline's expanded double twice in, in you and my lifetime. Like our understanding of the scope of humanoids in our lifetime is doubled twice. And to know that that was like the guiding principles for 99.9999999% of our evolution and our development. How can we imagine that we can come away from that? And integrity is so important for me in this moment right here and right now as we look at important partnerships and who we'd like to create a new world with. And it is one of the more challenging factors because being human, is really to just also be looking out for yourselves in one way, shape, or form, no matter how much we frame it. Um, and I've been helped a lot um, by seeing the principles led from one of my mentors who actually was an automotive diagnostic teacher. And um, I, I get way deep down the line with emission sets, but that's not gonna go here now. Um, but he said, basically, he taught me so many beautiful things. One was like, uh, everything you say, you already know. So that warped my world. It's like a listen instead of talk kind of thing. But everything you say, you already know, just warped my mind. And the other thing that he really took on was second for all, and that we all think it's impossible to, to live like Jesus. He was a strict Christian man. Um, and really, other than a handful of miracles, everything he did is within every one of our power. And if we were to like have that guiding principle where we hold everyone else up above ourselves and just above ourselves, like we don't have to be last, we can be second. But like if we hold everyone up, you will get brought to the right places in each moment. And it is proven true over and over again for me. And when I find those qualities in other people and I find people that are lifting up other humans and not just for the words of it, but truly relish and love what that person brings to that experience, that's trust for me. And um, yeah, 
So it's a really oh, great question. Thank you for that answer. That's that an answer that will definitely, um, you know, just send me spinning. That's why I had to close my eyes. So I'll, I'll let it sink in. It's, it's, it's very beautiful, this notion of second, second to all without getting lost in the story of Jesus or the way that it, 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 it might warp the way we see reality, even though it, we have such good intentions when we look at this, this unconditional love figure, right? This, this example of unconditional love. But unconditional love starts with the acceptance of what is and then from there some. I have two more questions for you, Nick, right now. Um, and I love your answer. So, so I know we could go on and on, but there, there, there will be other conversations where we can, can drop deeper in your regenerative work and, and into the mushroom farm that you mentioned briefly, et cetera. And so for now, I want to I get back to the education system because I know you have already mentioned it earlier about like the children will help us to learn from the past. If you and a team of experts or you alone could change the education system the way, the way it's, it's running in the world, what would you do? Oof. I'd like to believe we're doing Nice. For a long time, I've, um, with some help and um, shout out to um, Claire Politano and Kara Alter, who are some beautiful humans that also met through Intermona. We started scheming on um, changing the way we look at education. And for me, I feel like it's continuing on that enthusiasm allows people to go deeper. And so a choose your own adventure type platform is really important, I think, to revolutionize the way that we look at things, is realizing that everybody is going to, if I, if I look at everyone who had all different kinds of educations, whether they were formal or not, we can carry on a conversation about the general disposition of things. So we all got there with different ways and different platforms and different teachers and different modalities. But the ones who find themselves furthest removed from wanting to engage deeper into the earth, into the world itself, and just want to take a position and take a job, are those that didn't feel like they had a choice. And, had it, and some of it we reflect on as like the illusion of choice, but I, I'd like to really imagine education actually being the choice and people able to skip sections. So if you look at classwork or modules and you think of the conventional um, you know, grade levels or 100 to 400 level courses, and instead of when you hit the 100 courses and it's easy, skip and you want to hurt yourself and get harder, go, go to the two, 300, 400 level courses in the next round and push yourself and allow people to push themselves will allow themselves to engage further. And so we're exploring that concept with technology, as well as trying to mirror it um, with like kind of a fun explorative approach to basically allowing you to do good with your dollars. And so incentivizing through uh, regenerative philanthropy, the educational process, and then um, allowing that to be what kind of guides you to just motivate yourself one other reason to keep going further. So those are just a couple of examples. Just a starting point. Just a starting yeah. point. It's yeah. And I'm with you. Like it, it you know, it, um, I like the, I like to think that it's all happening. And then again, it also comes to the participation in it, right? That's one of the reasons why I continuously ask this question because I, 
for one, want to really hear what people have to say about the like quotation marks, the education system, but then also, I believe that we all have memories of what was good and worked for us at least. And then we all have this like, like probably like a barrel with no bottom of, of like perspectives of what didn't work, you know? And, and so um, it's one of those topics that even if you had to leave school or you chose to leave school or you dropped out of school, you still went to school at some point. So it's, it's, it's one of those unique things that every human, no matter where they're from, has gone through and every human was either disillusioned or took advantage of. So it's really valuable to actually understand what our collective is feeling, thinking, and believing about it. Mm. I, I also am interested as far as that connection, like we've spoken on before. And um, here we explore the connection to ourselves, connection to each other, and connection to the earth. And uh, we, we even bring that in with our breath work as far as uh, what is led by um, uh, Nadine uh, here at the Mushroom Farm. And it is really inviting to allow yourself to really tap into what is being shared when you're connecting with yourself, when you're connecting with the people that are in the room, and when you're connecting with that space, place, and time, and in our sake, it would be obviously uh, a, a beautiful terrestrial zone. Um, and hopefully we can see more education happening um, in outdoor environments. Um, but yeah, just that connection is really- I like it. A beautiful terrestrial zone of learning. Nick, my <laughs> last question for you, yeah. My last question for you is about what kind of ancestor are we to the future? And you know, I asked this question, like in a seven generational context, like what is the right. earth vision that that you are holding, that you're stewarding, you're bringing to life. And I know you touched on some of the points, but maybe let's dive in a little deeper. Yeah. Um, certainly the interconnectedness of all life really resonates deeply for me. The, the concept that the, the water in this glass, that one of these molecules I've drank before, and that one of these molecules I could have drank in Australia. And one of these molecules I could have drank in, in Thailand. And just the sheer fact that that travels without being attached to my body and still becomes part of the whole world. And we are water. Um, we, we all wonder where all the fresh water went in the world. It doesn't, it's not a, it's not a mystery. I solved, I've solved it. That, that just 500 years ago, we were only about a, a billion people. And so if you look at this and now you think about all of us as being 70% water or 60, 70% water and all the animals that we cultivate as also being 60, 70% water. And then we remove the forests, which are part of holding on to that water and are actually holding on to it. I, there's no mystery as far as I'm concerned because <laughs> so it's like one point. Mind blown, man, yeah, totally. <laughs> But um, I speak to this concept a lot as far as like for tens of thousands of years, we circled as communities and we started getting into what was our impact. And the conversations were constantly held and everything revolved around that concept of impact. And it's only very recently that we've started with these boardrooms where that's not even a conversation and we get into the market analysis and we get into segmentation and we get into profits and then we get into deep math and some derivatives. 
And we don't even consider necessarily the impact of our decisions on the people who are giving our lives to the project, our employees in some senses, let alone how this is affecting our neighbors, let alone how this is affecting us from our materials research, let alone how it happens with once this fails, how does it get thrown away and what gets done with it? It's, it's mind boggling that this is why we are out of balance is because without understanding the footsteps in which we take and the sheer grievance and reciprocity that is in asking permission as we enter into spaces, that, that, that reverence that comes from that indigenous wisdom when even picking flowers and realizing that you are displacing shade for something so small you don't even know, that, that realizing that everything has impact, that, that core set of wisdom for me has been the most impactful in my life, absolutely, bar none. So yeah, it's a really good one. Beautiful. I feel like science points us towards that. If you think of the science, like the science of noetics and, you know, mm -hmm. even like some of the cutting research of water, etc. But the body of science as an establishment of humans also, and like the way that the paradigms can get challenged are maybe in the way for science to be a leading force in making these kind of reverent notions like a like a mainstream experience right away right like it's it's actually both in our scientific paradigm as well as if we go back to again the, the nature-based ways of living like they again they both point towards it like everything you think or say every action you have has an impact in the energetic field we live in and it's 2020 so you don't even have to be labeled esoteric or spiritual for saying that it's a scientific observable empiric phenomena like but it's not necessarily what people think of because it's just not really how we get trained, educated and understand reality as, as we're still understanding reality mainly as like a machine in which you like check boxes and like do things and don't things. And yeah, it's time for all of this to like click into place more and more. And, and, I, and I love this conversation with you as a, a fellow translator. Thank you so much for your time, Nick. This was a fascinating conversation. Julian, I look forward to the next round. I hope to see you shortly and uh, I can't wait. Blessings on your journey and uh, really grateful for you and your commitment to this mission. And uh, one other reflection, and we didn't even get to into it, but the, the name of your podcast is so incredibly poignant and important right now in the world is because we so are greenwashed in this idea of what we can affect on the land here but that green planet, blue planet concept is really a holistic perspective that really represents everything and engines uh, for climate. And the largest engine in the world for climate is the ocean and not realizing um, the great effects that everything that we've done here on the land has devastated and affected those blue, the blue spaces. Um, I just really high amount of honor and gratitude for you calling that in. And for the first round, uh, me finding um, a mate in my life who's really taking on that holistic interconnectedness of life. And you embody that oneness in such a beautiful way, mate. So blessings okay. and cheers Thanks for the you, Many blessings to you. So much love, man. Thanks for listening. And here we are again. This is your host, Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, 
make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups online or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request, I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show, or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website, that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com slash mentorships, and mention the end of episode discount, and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now, it's 808. That's right, that's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. Mm -hmm.